Hey, welcome to Christmas Eve at Calvary. A special welcome to those of you who I think are sitting out in the commons. You know, God has a special place in his heart for people who find no room at Christmas Eve, and we're glad that you're here. Um, before we dive into the Christmas Eve message, I, I just, I got to tell you, I want to prepare you kind of, you know, a little bit in advance. We, we've been going through this, the Light Has Come series for Christmas at, at Calvary, and, and uh, this, this afternoon, for the Christmas Eve message, we're talking about the star of Bethlehem, the wise men, and, and all of that. And I, I just, I want to prepare you a little bit. We're going to start with the three wise men and the star, and then we're going to end with the three wise men and their gifts. In fact, I'm going to give you an opportunity, even though it's, it's pretty full in here, to come up and grab a piece of one of the gifts that the uh, wise men gave. They gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There is no gold, but there is frankincense and myrrh. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that at the end. But, but here's, here's my, my preparation. I just want to tell you that, that nowhere from the beginning of that story till the end of the story or anywhere in between does the Bible make any mention. The Bible makes absolutely no mention when it comes to those three gifts of wrapping paper. <laughs> that, that should be funnier. <laughs> now, there's, there's a lot that we don't know uh, about the story. We, we don't know that there were only three wise men. There are three gifts, and that's why we've assumed three, but there could have been a whole bunch, probably were a whole bunch. We're not totally sure where they came from, probably present-day Iraq. The star is pretty mysterious. Lots of theories for the star. Might have been a star, might have been a comet. So much that we don't know. But here's what I do know. And all too often overlooked theological fact, there is no mention of wrapping paper. I'm pretty sure if there was wrapping paper, Matthew would have told us. But he didn't. And there was no wrapping paper because the gifts were brought by men. (laughs) Wise men. (laughs) Now, I'm... I'm not trying to be stereotypical. I don't have to try when it comes to wrapping. I'm so stereotypical when it comes to wrapping paper. It'd be easier for me if they just got wrapper-colored tape because I don't wrap presents. I tape presents. And people who get them from me, um, they hate it. But uh, hopefully they like the gift. So on to the wise men. One of my favorite Christmas stories is a story that Lee Strobel tells in his book, The Case for Christmas. Um, he tells the story of the Delgados, and he met them while he was working as a journalist for the Chicago Tribune. And if you know anything about Lee's story, at one point he was a devout atheist and then became a Christ follower, and this was part of his story. He'd been assigned to report on the struggles of this impoverished uh, inner-city family during the Christmas season. As I said, he's a devout atheist at the time, but this family was really hard for him to ignore or understand. The Delgado family consisted of 60-year-old Grandma Perfecta, her granddaughters Lydia and Jenny, and around Thanksgiving time, a fire had destroyed everything that they owned in their low-rent apartment building. They lost every, every earthly possession, and and now they're living in this tiny two-room apartment on the west side, and and as he walked in, um, Lee said he was struck by the emptiness. No furniture, no rugs, nothing on the walls. Just a a small kitchen table, that's all that was in. A small kitchen table and a handful of rice, empty. In fact, 11-year-old Lydia and 13-year-old Jenny each owned one short-sleeved dress. They shared one thin sweater. When they walked to school in the Chicago winter, Lydia would wear the sweater halfway there and then they'd switch it up. Her shivering sister would wear it the rest of the way. But despite their poverty and, and, and the tragic kind of circumstances and the painful arthritis that kept Perfecta from working much, she still talked confidently to Lee about her faith 
in Jesus. She was convinced that he had not abandoned them. Strobel said that in that space, he never sensed a bit of despair or self-pity in her home. Instead, there was this this gentle feeling of hope and peace when he walked in and interviewed them. He walked in struck by the emptiness. He walked out struck by their fullness. Strobel completed the article, and then he moved on to some more high-profile assignments. But when Christmas Eve arrived, he found his thoughts drifting back to the Delgados, their unflinching faith in God and the sense of peace that they had. In his words, I continued to wrestle with the irony of the situation. Here's a family that had nothing but faith, and yet they seemed happy. While I had everything that I wanted materially but no faith, and I felt inside as empty as their apartment. In the middle of a slow news day, Strobel decided to go back to the Delgados and see how they were doing. And, and when he arrived, he was, just, he was amazed. Tribune readers had responded to the family's need in, in overflowing fashion. I mean, this, this once empty apartment was now full, like wall to wall, new furniture and new appliances and rugs and a large Christmas tree and stacks of wrapped presents and warm clothes and even a generous amount of donated cash. But in Strobel's words, it wasn't the gifts that shocked this devout atheist. It wasn't the Christmas outpouring that rocked his boat. It was the Delgado's response to their newfound stuff. He writes in his book, as surprised as I was by this outpouring, I was even more astonished by what my visit was interrupting. Perfecta and her granddaughters were getting ready to give away much of their newfound wealth to their neighbors. And when I asked Perfecta why, she replied in halting English, our neighbors are still in need. We cannot have plenty while they have nothing. This is what Jesus would want us to do. Strobel said that it blew me away. If I'd been in their shoes, I would have been hanging on to everything I could get. I, I asked Perfecta, he said, what she thought about the generosity of the people who'd sent all these goodies. And again, her response amazed me. He said, she, she said, this is wonderful, gesturing towards the, the full room. We, we did nothing to deserve this. It was a gift from God. But she added, It's not his greatest gift. No, we celebrate that tomorrow. That's Jesus. And it just, it leads me to ask the question, very simple question this Christmas, one probably that you've asked friends and family as you're thinking about gifts that you might buy. And the question is simply, what are you seeking? I mean, honestly, you don't have to tell anybody else around. So just kind of inside, what are you seeking? What, what are you looking for this Christmas? What, what have you been looking for this year? What, what are you seeking, not finding, but seeking? The story of the Magi, the wise men, begins in Matthew 2, verses 1 through 2, and it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and said, Where's the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Now, you know what they were seeking, That's the story. They were seeking Jesus. And honestly, when it comes to the continuing story of Christmas, Jesus is written all over the pages of the book. And yet, let's be honest, it's so easy to get distracted by all the other elements. Shepherds and wise men and angels. And reindeer and Santa and elves. And trees and Christmas and lights. So, so many So many distractions. And yet nothing matters more than Jesus. Nothing matters more than Jesus. 
When the Bible scholar N.T. Wright was asked what he would tell his kids on his deathbed, he said he hoped that his final breath would form the words, look at Jesus. He explained why. He said the person walking out of the pages of the Gospels to meet us is central and irreplaceable. Always a surprise. We never have Jesus in our pockets. He's always coming at us from different angles. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be fully human, look at Jesus. If you, if you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. And go on looking, he said, until you're not just a spectator, but you're part of the drama, part of the story that has him as the central character. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Gaze long. Ponder deep, wonder fully. Imagine his heart. Read the Gospels. Get, get so into Jesus that it feels sometimes like it's hard to get out. Look at Jesus because he's the true treasure of Christmas. Leonard Cohen died a few years ago. For many of us, Cohen became famous with his song, Broken Hallelujah. Kind of, kind of an all mixed up religious song. But I love one of the last lines. I'll stand before the Lord of song with nothing on my tongue but hallelujah. Cohen often protested that he wasn't really a religious man, but it seemed like he could barely refrain from singing about Christ. He was drawn to Christ. Talking about his song, The Captain, he once said, what I mean to say in this song that there are many things about Christianity that attract me, but the figure of Jesus is extremely attractive. It's difficult, he said. It's difficult not to fall in love with that person. Have you ever had a moment, I've had a few, but one of those moments where, where somewhere, somehow, some when, you just, you just kind of realize how much you miss Jesus, or, or it hits you how eager you are to meet him face to face, or even a moment occurs where yet maybe you don't even know if you really believe in who Jesus is, what it all is, is all about, and, and yet you have these moments where you realize how much it matters if he's real and and if he's real, does he really love you? And does he care about what's going on in my life? In the midst of the activities and, and all the events, I, I think Christmas hits its sweet spot when it awakens this longing inside of us for Christ and it inspires our hope that he might actually be found. In the midst of all the distractions, the buying and the getting of Christmas, what we're really missing is Jesus. See, you were made for more. You were. You were made for more. You, you were made for more. <laughs> what our true heart longs for is more of Christ. We were designed. You were designed for an intimate connection with God. You were formed with the very DNA of heaven in your soul. Let your unsatisfied longings this Christmas, that, that sense of, you know, a little sense of dissatisfaction when you've opened up all the presents under the tree, let, let those unsatisfied longings be the star of Bethlehem that guides you to Christ. What are you seeking? To perfecta, this child in a stable who grew to be our Savior was a gift worth more than everything, more than stuff, more than success or comfort. She was seeking Jesus, but not everyone is seeking Jesus, right? I mean, we understand that. In fact, sometimes it's almost like Jesus places himself in, in direct opposition to what it is that we think we want, what we think we're seeking, and, and it's like he says, you know what, you can't have me and that.
That's kind of what's happening in Matthew 2, 3 through 5. It says, when King Herod heard this, these guys looking for the king that was born, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, all the religious people, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. King Herod was disturbed. All the religious leaders were disturbed. This news of a king and his kingdom come disturbed them. You know, we, we often talk about the people who missed that first Christmas. King Herod didn't miss that first Christmas. If there was anybody who understood what Christmas was all about, it was Herod. See, Herod understood that the birth of this king would require the surrender of his kingdom, the surrender of his control, his agenda. Listen, Christmas is not just a sentimental merry feast. If Christmas doesn't disturb me, at least at some point, if Christmas has never disturbed us, maybe I'm missing the point. Because that first Christmas was not merry, and it certainly wasn't little. It, it drew a line. It, it disrupted the status quo. C.S. Lewis once wrote, it's a dangerous thing to draw near to Jesus. It, it endangers the status quo. It endangers our way of living, our habits, our attitudes, our secret thoughts and priorities, our, our way of viewing the world and how we look at each other. Dive into Jesus, Lewis said. Dive into Jesus fully and it'll change you. You'll quickly find that you cannot sit on the fence. I mean, can't you feel it sometimes, that tension? That that tension between what we want and what it seems like Jesus wants or what he wants for us or from us. There's there's this tension. And and honestly, I'll be honest, there's sometimes part of me wants to say, screw that Christmas story. See, I just, I just want my tree and my, my gifts and my ham and my cinnamon rolls and my family to be the way I want them to be. I want Christmas my way. Forget surrender. But then, part of me says, but we are so hungry for a new story. We are so hungry for a new story. I, I'm, I'm tired of stuff. I'm, I'm tired of trying to scratch out a kingdom in the crud of life. Please, God, there's got to be more. Dallas Willard once wrote, Every longing that you have, every ache in your heart when you think you desire more stuff or more pleasure or more success or to be more attractive or to have a bigger house or more applause, he said what your soul is really crying out for, Jesus says, is for his kingdom, the kingdom of God, to come down into your life. So follow your star. Follow your star. In verses 7 through 10, it says, Herod called the Magi secretly and to find out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so I too may go and worship him. And if you know the rest of the story, you know he's lying. He doesn't want to go and worship the king. He wants to go and kill the king. And after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Listen, I, I really 100% believe this. I, I believe that God has a star for every seeker. The astronomer Michael Molnar claims that the star was actually an astronomical event, the appearance of Jupiter in connection with the sun, the moon, and Saturn in the constellation of Aries, and and that's what these wise men discern. Biblical scholar Colin Nichol has made a compelling case that the star was actually a great comet 
fulfilling Balaam's prophecy in Numbers 24, verse 17, where Balaam said, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. And a comet in those days was called a scepter star because of its tail. I don't know what it was, but I believe it was real, as real as you and me. But i got to be honest, I've never seen a star like this. My goodness, it, it led them from the east directly to Jerusalem and then took a right turn south to Bethlehem with pinpoint directions to a single house on a single block. That's one incredible star. And one incredible reminder that God loves seekers. If you're not there yet tonight, it, you say, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not sure I believe. I'm, I'm kind of thinking about it. I'm, I'm just telling you, God loves seekers. I believe that God has a star for every seeker, a sign, a clue, a whisper, a dream, a conversation that you just can't let go of, a personal travel guide custom made just for you. Bailey is, is a part of the Calvary family, student at Penn State, lives with some other students in a neighborhood that's mostly older adults, non-students, and, and uh, you know, they, they wanted to love their neighbors. We talk about that a lot at Calvary, and so there's this one particular couple that they felt led to pray for and, and reach out to, and last spring before the semester concluded, Bailey and his roommate just kind of decided to bake the wife a cake. So they picked a random day and baked a random cake and dropped it off. She wasn't home, but her husband graciously accepted it. At the beginning, they didn't hear anything more about it after that until the beginning of this last semester. They were all moving back in, and she came out and welcomed Bailey and his friends so graciously, and she wanted to tell them how much the cake meant to her because the day they dropped it off was actually her birthday. And the kind of cake they made, red velvet cake, was actually the kind of cake that her mom always made for her when she was a kid. <laughs> for Lee Strobel, the star God used to bring him to Jesus was a grandma named Perfecta with a heart so full of Jesus that she'd give all of her stuff away. Who knows, maybe in Bailey's neighborhood, God will use a red velvet cake as his star. Maybe for you, it's a hunger. It's an unsatisfied longing it's, it's a place of darkness in your life that you, you feel like it won't go away, but you know, you, you know it should. You know there's a light. It's a whisper. It's a dream. It's a conversation. Jim and Evie first met Kim when she was giving out food samples at, at a store. They, they struck up a conversation. Kim was most definitively not a Christian. In fact, she called herself, described herself as an angry atheist. But Jim and Evie invited Kim to their home and to their church later on, and, and she came, but she was locked and loaded, man. I mean, she, she often dominated their small group Bible studies with her questions. Some, some were honest questions, but most were skeptical. You know, quietly over time, more and more people started praying for Kim. Gradually, she warmed up. She moved from angry atheist to curious agnostic. Months passed. She kind of relaxed. Some of her questions were answered, not all. But what, what ended up mattering most for Kim was, was being around these other Jesus apprentices and seeing their love and their grace and, 
At some point, someone asked her to volunteer at the church to be an usher, and she was great at that. And, and meanwhile, God just kept dropping these little signs along the way, things that might not have meant much to you or I, but, but she called them divine messages. For example, one day she found a penny, turned it over, saw the motto, In God We Trust, and she took it as a sign straight from God. And after that, she started finding pennies all over the place. Pastor Lee Eckloff shares, When we formed a choir to sing for Easter, Kim joined, and I don't think we realized how much she was internalizing the, message of the messages of the songs about Jesus' death and resurrection. At the end of our last rehearsal, our director pointed to Jim, not Kim, Jim, who was in the back row, and, and asked him if he would pray, but it just so happens that Kim was sitting in the row right in front of him, just below him, and, and, and she thought they were pointing to her, and she said, yes, of course I'll pray. And there's kind of eyebrows raised all across the room, and then Kim prayed. And she thanked God for the gift of his son and for the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us as sinners. And she said, how wonderful that was and how much God must love us. And, and after her amen, Lee said, I, I glanced at Rick, a fellow elder, and both of us were wondering what in the world we had just heard. A few minutes later, I caught up. He said, I caught up with Kim in the hallway, and I, I said to her, your prayer sounded like a Christian praying. She, she looked at him and paused and, and said kind of with surprise in her voice, I guess I am. <laughs> was her star the pennies or was it the people surrounding Kim who God used as her Bethlehem star? The Magi followed a star, but the star followed Christ. They were God's seekers, and with all my heart, I believe that God loves seekers. In fact, I believe God has a star for every seeker, a custom-made sign, a clue, a traveler's guide, a star shaped and placed just for you. The, the question really is not, can, can I get my questions answered? Can I follow us? The question is, will you follow the star? In verse 11, it says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshiped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gold because he's a king. Frankincense was used in the temple for worship, and of course he is Emmanuel, God with us. But you know what myrrh was used for? Myrrh was used to prepare bodies for burial. Because he is Jesus, which literally means God saves. For he will save his people from their sins. How? By a cross and by a death and by a resurrection. The Magi followed their star. They found Jesus, and, and they were overflowing with joy. And while they came bearing gifts, they did not come empty-handed. I think they realized that Jesus is the greatest gift. Well, throughout this last week, as I've been preparing for Christmas Eve, I've been curiously filled with emotion. I mean, I'd listen to a Christmas carol, not even a good one, and tears would fill my eyes, and I'd write a few words uh, for this message and my gut would kind of clutch, clutch and a, a sob would come out. And at some point I said, God, what in the world is going on with this emotion? And it, it reminded me of a conversation I had. Actually, it was a few Christmases ago. It was a neighbor, a Jesus follower who uh, attends another church and we were talking about Christmas Eve. And at some point in the conversation, she just said, we keep hoping that God will show up in one of our services. And I think that's part of the emotion, just this heart 
wrenching sense of longing and need. I know so many, and, and I don't know if it's more than usual. I just know that I know more than usual people who are going through hard times right now. And a lady called me up this last week on the phone. I talked for about 30 minutes, just going through kind of a random call, but just going through hard, hard times. Talked to people in between each of these services. People just going through hard times. I know people who are seeking spiritually, just have questions, and they're looking for something more. And more broadly, locally, and even globally, how desperately do we need the God of light to show up? But mixed with this longing is a, a curious sense of hopeful expectancy. I believe God has shown up. I believe he is showing up. I believe he's going to continue to show up for those who seek him. For those who seek him. The question is, will we follow our star? See, I believe that Jesus actually wants you to find him even more than you want to seek him. Let me pray for us. Father God, I, I just I pray that even in these moments as we conclude, as we sing and light candles and pray and respond in whatever way we can or should, Spirit of God, would you would you shine a light in our hearts? Re- regardless of where we find ourselves on a journey with you, towards you, for you, God, we, we need more light. Would you shine a light in our souls, in our minds? Would, would you show us, God, would you make it clear, even, even now, what the star is that you've given to us that we should follow? God, I, I pray that we all would be seekers. I know sometimes we just use that term for people who don't know Jesus and are looking, but God, we all need to be seekers. Seekers of you, seekers of Christ, seekers of the light. God, never totally finding, never completely coming to the end of the journey until we see you face to face. But Spirit of God, would you come even in these moments and shine your light. Shine your light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.